All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, you give me an amen. amen. Can we rise to our feet again? And um, let's open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, um, Psalm chapter 66. I want us to read from Psalm 66. We're going to read from verse 1 and stop somewhere around. Um, of course, you know what we do? It's declare the glory of God as we commence our teaching. Again, like I said, something we should make. Uh, make it a habit in every part of our lives. This evening, let's start from Psalm 66. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 9. Remember, this time around we are declaring, we are declaring the glory of God into the air, so I want us to be very deliberate about it in giving it volume. All right, the Lord is good. All right, if you are ready, say amen. amen. One, two, let's go. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and all sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of the Lord, who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. Dead, let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. 8. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praises abroad. 9. Who keeps us in life and does not allow our feet to sleep. Amen. Alright, amen. I want to stop reading in 9 there. This is the glory of God we are declaring. And we are instructing all the earth to shout joyfully to God and sing the glory of his name. Indeed, his praise is glorious. We say to God, how awesome are your works. Yes, all the earth will worship you and sing praises to you, Lord Jesus. Let's say that again, verse 4. All the earth will worship you and we sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Now we declare that concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Indeed, he's the King of Kings. Amen. Say amen to that. Amen. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. Amen. He's the judge of the living and the dead. Amen. And he's coming again. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Amen. Now let's take our declaration of understanding and then we'll take our seats, okay? Let's quickly do that. If you're ready, say Amen. All right, I want to let's go. Now I declare. Now I declare the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. Now that's what God will do for you again today in Jesus' name. Amen. This word will enter your heart. Amen. It will remove iniquity. Amen. It will remove every aspect in which you are short of God's glory. Amen. It will make you more like Jesus Christ than you were in the morning. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And every affliction of the flesh in you is disappearing in Jesus' name. Amen. Diabetes is dying. Amen. Hypertension is going away. 
Even cancer will die from its roots. In the name of Jesus Christ. Premature death is not your portion. As this word is coming, it will give you extended life. It will make you fulfill all your days on this earth. Yes, in the name of Jesus, you will not die, but you will live. You will not die, you will live. In the name of Jesus, you will not die, you will live. You will live in God's purpose. You will fulfill the destiny of God for your life. In the name of Jesus Christ. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats, please, quickly. All right, let's, let's just um, take it again from, um, we'll read two portions. We have been reading this again and again, so let's um, just read it one more time. The book of James, let's read that. We've just been looking at the things that we use um, for self-assessment uh, when it comes to our faith. That's what we're looking at, the things that we use for self-assessment. We have emphasized again and again that faith is crucial. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? Faith is crucial for what God wants to do. If he doesn't find faith, his promises are not fulfilled. His promises, like on Tuesday we're talking about prophecy. That prophecy is not a prediction, and the promise of God is something like that also. It's not a prediction. It's a weapon of war. It's an expression of the plan of God. What you now do is to activate those things in your life, in your environment. We We all have a duty to do that. So in our lives, when he gives us a promise, our faith is the only thing that guarantees the fulfillment of God's promise. So we need to be sure that our faith is alive. We've been explaining uh, why we're doing this is so on, for us to, re- of course, with a background knowledge that faith can be dead. And then the faith that is dead sometimes feels as faith that is alive. You need to look at it critically to be sure that this faith is actually alive and is not dead. So that's an important thing we should um, bear in mind. And that's what we've been doing, looking at different things that show that faith is alive. And we call it the breath of faith. That is the expressions of faith. The faith that is alive, how does it show it's alive? What are the things that we see that would let us know that faith is alive? And I've said it before, i repeat it again today, that we're not trying to judge somebody else's faith. I'm not looking at this person's faith. This man's faith is really alive. No, it's not alive. No, that's not the issue. It's my own faith I'm trying to judge. All right? I can be deceived. To be deceived means to believe something that is not true. You're not lying. You actually believe it. But it's just that it's not true. That's what it means to be deceived. And sometimes people are deceived. They think their faith is alive. Meanwhile, the faith is dead. They think they have faith. They actually don't have it. So these are the reasons why we are doing these things. Or that is the reason why we are doing this. So that we look at it. How do I know my faith is alive? So James said from verse uh, chapter 2, James chapter 2, from verse 4, just like reading this again. He said, what is, use is it, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. And it says, um, let me just say, um, I want to bring out one scripture. I don't, I don't read everything. From verse 20, he said, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? He said, Abraham, our father, was justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And he gave another example. So he ended in verse 26 by saying, For just as the body without the breath is dead, so also faith without works is dead. That verse um, 26 talks about breath. 
Alright, your Bible may use the word spirit, but I've said before, the word spirit is used in different ways in the Bible. You have to look at the context to know exactly what he's talking about. So that word pneuma can be used for wind, it can be used for spirit that we know, and it can be used for breath. And in this context, I believe, and actually, the New Living Translation uses that expression. It was exciting to me the day I found out, because I've been trying to prove to people for a long time that here, breath should be the correct thing, and New Living Translation just uses that. Said, just as a body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So the works of faith, that's what proves that the faith is actually alive. So we are looking at our works. That's what we've been looking at. We're looking at different things. Today I want to bring up the issue. There are two things I have left in my heart that I should explain that we'll use for self-assessment in the matter of faith. Now what I now don't know is which one I should look at today. So which one should I look? Okay, let's just let start, start talking. All right, the Lord is good. Let's go back to the book of Malachi. We read that last time. So let's just continue from that particular point. Malachi chapter 3. Okay, if we finish this one on time, they are going to the next one, which is also part from this book of Malachi chapter 3. I'll start from verse um, 13. It says, Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, What have we spoken against you? In verse 14 he says, you have said, it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his charge, and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. In verse 16 we read, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, And a book of remembrance was written before God for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day, there's a day, everything has a day, on the day that I prepare my own possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Uh, Let me just read a few more verses. For behold, the day is coming, chapter 4 now, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But as for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. And before I go on to this, let me just point out the issue of the day. Everything with God has his own appointed day. He has his own appointed time. He has his own appointed season. Now, the major problem people have is that they judge things before that day of the Lord. I hope you're getting my point. Sometimes we have to pray that that day will come. But then before that day comes, you really cannot judge things effectively. Now, just to give us an example, there's one particular scripture we declare all the time from the book of um, Jeremiah chapter 10. We talked about the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth. And then but the day is coming, the time of their judgment, they will perish from the surface of the earth and from under the heavens. That is, before that day, you may see them appearing to thrive. I hope I get my point. It does not mean that they are, the gods are true. It's just that the day of their judgment has not yet come. Do you get my point? Yeah, there's a day, there's a day. 
Now, in fact, we have been praying about it, and personally, I, I also pray that prayer, and I encourage everybody to pray it. That is, we have to call forth that day of God's judgment through prophetic utterances. But when that day comes, that is when you will be able to distinguish between those who serve God and those who are not serving him. You know, sometimes, you know, if you read, <laughs> you know, just by the way, it's an aside. Trying to get, read information from non-spiritual um, sources is dangerous. You know how I know? One day, I, I think it was on Wikipedia, I tried to get, um, I was reading something, I don't know what led to it, but Full Gospel Businessmen Fellowship International, the story was on, uh, everything is on Wikipedia. If I type Pastor Kimote, you'll see the column on Wikipedia, and if it's not there, they will ask you, create one. I hope I remember what that's how it is. So, everything is there, okay? So, the narrative of the story of um, Full Gospel Businessmen Fellowship International, how it started, I almost fell down. They said that it was started by Ora Roberts to raise money to support his evangelistic outreaches. Did you hear what I said? And it's been published. Somebody will quote this in another 50 years. Yes. As if it's fact. I almost collapsed. I said, what? What? Ora Roberts started full gospel? For what purpose? They said to raise money to support evangelism. Oh, my father in heaven. I, you didn't collapse when you heard that. I heard your shout anyway. You had to rise up from where you fell. Like somebody said, please give me space. May I faint? You know? <laughs> No, it's really crazy. Now, that's just an aside. In the same way, when they are talking about churches, now, that's why we went to do that. When you read the news, and you read articles, and they talk about churches, my God, you know, you just be embarrassed. They said, uh, uh, the one man died in Lagos recently. Say, uh, how did they describe him? One of Nigeria's leading pastors, one of Nigeria's leading evangelists, controversial, you know, a Christian leader. I said, who? This one? Christian? And they, you know, they talk about it all the time. I said, he doesn't even think he's a Christian. Why are you trying to confuse the dead man? He never, <laughs> he, he never thought he was a Christian. He was playing his own game. Now, just by the way, which is why you say, why did I get into that? This is the reason. Right now, there are all kinds of churches in Nigeria. No, sorry. All kinds of buildings and organizations in Nigeria who claim that they are churches. Hear the word of the Lord. The day is around the corner when the Lord will arise and separate between the ones that are true churches and the ones that are not. Give me an amen to that. Amen. Right now, they all have names of the Church of Jesus Christ, the evangelistic group of, please, if your name is among the ones I'm mentioning, it's coincidental for legal purposes, but it might be prophetic for your own purpose. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know your name. I just, I'm just talking. Because Nigeria has over 21,000 registered ones. 21,000. I love Nigeria. It's a blessing. No, it's a blessing. But among the 21,000, a lot of people just say this, there's good money in the God racket. They came there to make money. And they've caused a lot of confusion. Many times people ask me for my picture when I'm invited for a program and they want to print flyers, they want to print billboards, they want to design. Most times these days, I turn them down. And my number one reason, let me not lie to you, nothing spiritual my reason. Yes, I feel like a false prophet when I see my picture in many of those things. When they went to Port Harcourt, those ones, they did a massive, you know, these billboards that will cross the road. I looked at myself, and I felt sorry for myself. <laughs> I said, Banky, look at you. I don't know at which killing conference. <laughs> yes, I felt like that because it's another billboard just down the road. I know which killing conference. You know, I look, I say, God in heaven. 
So after the next time they designed the next one, I told the person designing, please put my face as a watermark. So just sit in the background. I went to Portaco again, I look at my own face. I said, Bank is no good. You are still a false prophet looking like this. <laughs> so next I said, no, no, don't put my face again. So since that time, people say, please give us your picture. <laughs> With reluctance. Say, please, not important. Those who know me don't know my face, they know my name. If you want to tell them, you want to tell them I'm the one coming. Just mention the name. It's good enough. But the only reason is that I have noticed that, you see, all the false prophets have fine suits. In fact, at the point in time, I was beginning to equate the quality of the suit with the level of falsehood. I'm not saying that's spiritual, though. It's just my own flesh. Sometimes I see your suit is shining too much. Say, <laughs> so you can't be true. <laughs> and really, what I'm telling you, go and check it. The pastor, although, yes. <laughs> Ed Cole said, the cheaper the merchandise, the higher the gloss. I, I will look at some, ah, the most false of the prophets in Nigeria at that time, what the shiniest suit I've ever seen in my life. It's still on record till today in my spirit. Uh, no, sorry, in my personal memory, there's no suit I've seen shinier than that guy's own. And he came to church that day, and he was looking laminated. <laughs> you wear a suit that's looking laminated glistening like this. I said, and this guy is a false prophet. Too. So I said, Pastor Mark, how do you know? If you know, you know. Let's leave this thing. Don't have to prove it to you. If you know, you know. So one guy the other day, I said, he has joined them. Although I knew long ago, you know, the son of the prophet, another guy, that was one of the false ones. How do I know? Let me give you this. That's not what we're talking about, okay? I've not gotten to my message. It's not that day matter we're talking about. So I just like to educate people. Let me give you this. Take this one to the bank, like they say. If you see anybody ministering and they are hailing him, he's false. You know, I've told you that many times. I'm reading it again. Go deeper, my papa. Go deeper. He's a false prophet. I said, I had one last week. He was saying, hmm, see accuracy. You are a false prophet. See, 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 see. You are using familiar spirits. Let's not be nice. You're not so full of, not so full of this trying to be nice. Only false spirits tolerate that. Say, so, hmm, see prophecy, power. Remember those people that were elongating somebody's hand? I said, remember, say, hmm, power, see power, see power. That's how you know lies. That's how you know them. Once I hear my father, you are too much. And the person is ministry. If I'm preaching and you shout, you, you, and I give you a Michael. Of course now. If you're on your seat, who will hear it? Oh, my father God. Let me tell you the truth, eh? They are lying. They are winding. You know, you know what to be winding is spirit. You know those winding watches? Did they ever use watches they wind? This generation use quartz watches. They all put battery. In fact, did they, did they buy a watch? They just carry their phone. The time is there. When we were much younger, all watches were mechanical. You either wind it by yourself or it winds itself. You will wind it so that it can move. Why did you do that to those prophets? Because the spirits need to be wound. Be hidden the spirit. They heal and they go. One man, I read this book. He said they give themselves military titles. I said, no wonder. I've been seeing military titles around. So that one that was prophesying at that time, the person who healed him said, hmm, general of prophecy. I told my wife, see, 
false. It's in a cult. It's a good deeper. Familiar spirits. But that's not the message for today. The message is that the time of their judgment is around the corner. Amen. Say amen. amen. God will come. He will arise. In Nigeria especially and the whole of Africa. We have taught them a lot of evil. Oh, Nigerians, we've exported nonsense. We're not the only ones at fault. So why is it this rubbish they are copying? We also have good things now. But whichever way. From Nigeria down to South Africa. East Africa. Hear the word of the Lord. The day of the judgment in which God will distinguish between the true churches and the false ones is around the corner. Amen. People have been arguing with you simply because that day had not come. That's why I'm talking about it. That day hadn't come. But I said hadn't because I don't want to say has not. Because now it is beginning. Yes, we are enforcing it. We are declaring it into the air. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. What is, who are his enemies? Those who prophesy falsely in his name. Who are his enemies? Those who say, thus says the Lord, when the Lord has said nothing. There's one big um, juju man in Ghana. I don't know how many of you. You know all these things. So I'm sure you know the fellow. He went into a church one day with police during the church service. I said the pastor is owing him. That the juju he did for the man, the man has not paid. So he should either give him his juju back or give him his money during the church service. And he dared the man to deny it. Walked into a service going on. He said, oh boy, is my juju working or is not working? If it's working, where's my money? If you have not given my money, give me my juju back. Oh, the juju was found at the back of the altar. No, 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 no. They dug up the juju because police had to arrest the juju too. <laughs> this really happened though in Ghana. I think that man must be the one that um, Sadhu calls the warlock of Africa. The warlock of Africa. That is senior wizard. And many people have gone there to go and collect power. Hear the word of the Lord. Everyone who took black magic who took juju power, who took satanic counsel, and used it to gather people, and called it the church of Christ. From now, their judgment comes. Amen. Yes. We say it again. Arise, O Lord. Let your enemies be scattered. That's all the scripture you need. He said, guard thy sword upon thy thigh, O mighty one. Ride on prosperously. And in majesty, for the cause of truth, his right hand will do terrible things. Terrible things in righteousness will be done. I say it again, this cannot continue. It can't continue. False prophets will come to an end. Every assembly gathered, started to gather people so they can milk them using the name of the Lord. They will come to an end. Anyone who wants to name the name of the Lord must speak truth. We demand it. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we demand that anyone who wants to speak publicly, transmit on the airwaves, on the internet, and he wants to name the name of the Lord, he must speak truth. Or Lord, you, you will shut his mouth. You will shut her mouth. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask, let the day of the judgment be now. In Jesus' name. We're not joking again. We have tolerated nonsense enough. See, 
A man came to one of my colleagues and said, bring money, let's organize crusade, the returns will be good. Did you hear what I said? Went to another man and said, please, bring money. Let's organize a crusade that the money we will make will be plenty so you will get your investment back. Heavenly Father, God, I ask of you, I'm this, your children listening to me, they are in agreement, I know, and they will say it by saying amen. They will show it by saying amen. Every such individual with the purpose of gain, organizes a crusade purportedly to win converts for Christ Jesus, but has only come for his gain. Lord, scatter the arrangement in Jesus' name. If the person had a thousand error before, let him be indebted to the tune of 10,000 at the end. Let trouble come upon the arrangement in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, if they come and say, we want to promote Satan, Lord, leave them alone. We are not, are we afraid of that? We're not praying about those ones. Like this Ghanaian juju man. The man does his juju with pride. And when I saw it, I had no problem with him. If he were to meet me somewhere to greet me, I would greet him. I'm not afraid of him. He wants to do his juju. In fact, his surname, his last name, I don't know what his surname, his last name currently is Ghanaian word for devil. His name is a Ghanaian word for the devil. Somebody asked him, how did you get that name? He told a story which I don't personally believe, but I think he did it to spite the Christians. You know the truth? I have no problem with him. No, personally, I don't. Listen, the gospel will drive away those people like that. He will look for customers he will not find when we are preaching the truth. He himself will come for baptism. So I don't have a problem with him. The people that on God's behalf, on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have a problem with. Yeah, we are demanding that anyone who stands in the name of Christ Jesus not to broadcast, even if it's for a small group, it doesn't have to be one million people, it doesn't have to be on radio, it can be an internet channel. We are talking about from this nation and from this continent. Anyone who stands but does not come in sincerity, but it comes to lie, because, think, because he thought or he's thinking that the name of Christ will draw people. Then he will not lie to them. Lord, shut him permanently. Amen. Make the fellow dumb. Amen. Yes. Lord, make the individual dumb. Amen. Let that mouth not open again until he comes to repentance. Amen. Let them know that the name of Jesus is the name of the Lord of hosts. Yes. You know the name of Lord of Hosts? The Lord of, it's like saying the commander-in-chief. That's what he is. Com- Do you invite soldiers because everything is happy? No, it's a question. Do you invite soldiers because everything is nice? So when they call Jesus the Lord of Hosts, and you should understand what the, it means. It's not the Lord of DJs. That's when things are happening. You know, you need a DJ. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. When it's the Lord of Hosts, it means there's trouble. It means that people have to be, you know, like they say in the military in Nigeria, they say neutralized. And they don't want to tell you that they kill somebody. Nigerian police and Nigerian military said five insurgents were neutralized. Don't worry, they didn't pour acid on their base or base on their acid. They poured bullets in their chest. I hope you're getting my point. They are now neutral. <laughs> they can't enjoy you anymore. That's the name of Jesus. When you call him the Lord of hosts, 
is for neutralization. It's not chemistry. Bear it in mind. It neutralizes evildoers. He neutralizes enemies of truth. He neutralizes those who lie in his name. Please, I keep on begging. Go and find another business. Church business is not money-making business. It's a truth-propagating enterprise. I hope you're getting my point. If you want money, it's corn season. Go and roast corn. The profit is not bad. What's wrong with buying and selling? You can manufacture something or the other. You can write your own book on the Ogbanjes in my life. People will buy. How I became demon-possessed. It sounds funny. You know, curiosity. I read, I read a book once on witchcraft, and I knew the witch had not repented. I just saw, I said, let me see what they do in witchcraft. So I bought the book. I didn't know what I bought it, I borrowed it. But I read it from the beginning to the end. And at the end of the book, the fellow was still continuing in witchcraft. Wanted to main, you know, mainstream witchcraft. So you can, if anybody, if a person can write a book on witchcraft, why can't you write a book on your own foolishness? It's a safe way to make money. You will not die. But if you lie in the name of Jesus, you will die. How can you gather human beings on Sunday? You say you're a pastor. And the reason you started that church is so they can collect their money. For your information, because some of the ones I've heard before, people will tell me that uh, the money we needed to do good things is still a sin. If your aim is to use the money to do something good, We'll have small mercy on you, but you still go broke. God will still close you down. What did I say? God will still close such people down. Oh, the Lord is good. Now, what we have done, all right, (laughs) so far just to emphasize something about the issue of a day that is coming. It's not our main message. It's a small side trip. Please, just bear that in mind. Please, take that message out, all right, to people. You can be arguing with us about why do you call somebody false or call somebody uh, a, a false prophet. Or say, all right, that the church is not a true church. The fact is that there are false prophets. We know that as a matter of fact. And we are just saying that the day we come, and when we are warning like this, a warning because God wants people to repent. He doesn't want to destroy anybody. If you wanted to destroy, we don't give a warning. I hope you're getting my point. Why is giving warnings? Because he does not want to destroy people. But we are saying to them, those who will not repent will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. There's no doubt about it. They will be. Their works will be destroyed with them. There are some good people, let me just add this one. Good Christians, they do bad works. Their works will be destroyed. They themselves might be saved, but their works will be destroyed. I can tell you this. <laughs> the other day they said, they, they want to mention names. When they say, wizard of Endor dies. I said, they should, listen, this is, the, this is the judgment that we are decreeing over that place. It will become a desolation. Amen. Yes. And anybody that tries to build it is in trouble. Let me tell you, when J- J- Joshua, when he destroyed Jericho, he warned that whoever tries to rebuild these walls, he will lay the foundation of the life of his first son and set the gates with the life of the last born. Now, if you understand, do you know what's going on in between? The children are going one after the other as the work of rebuilding is progressing. This is my perception. I'm not saying thus says the Lord. So what I'm about to say. There are times I'll say this is the word of God. This one is my perception. And please, be careful when I perceive something like that. <laughs> I perceive that God has made up his mind. He's going to turn that complex to a desolation. 
know what you call it desolation? Yes. Area boys will be hanging there. Thieves, that's where they will go and hide when they are running. The building will collapse. Birds will, literally, birds will, 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 no? Strange animals. Snakes. They will have nests inside there. If anybody tries to open the congregation there again, this is my perception, because I will apply the curse of Jericho on that person's house. It's a desolation God is creating. People will point with their left fingers at the place. Ah, you don't know this place? People used to gather to come and collect holy water. The place is now unholy. That's my perception. And it's a prayer, a personal prayer for me, actually, to the Lord. Make that house a desolation. Make it a desolation. Make it a den of jackals. That one is a figurative expression. Wild beasts, snakes, serpents, scorpions. Let them breed there. Until the Lord will decide. The only hope the place we have is that when they wipe, you know, when government wants to, you know, will clean the place out, turn it to a dump hill. Let they dump refuse. Or turn it to a motor park. There will be no remembrance of the fact that it was a building where people gathered. Anything other than that, that is wiping up the memory of the place entirely. If anybody wants to preserve the structure, he's fighting against God. And get ready for it. Go and read about the curse that Joshua placed upon whoever will rebuild the walls of Jericho. Enough of nonsense. Enough of rubbish. Ah, Bazebub name they there. You know, struggle lamb. The name of Jesus that is pure. Now you won't come to struggle with us. Can you imagine? And we're there watching like nothing's happening. And I tell you, don't judge. They don't know the meaning of what the Lord was saying. I'm not judging. Who am I to judge? I'm reading the word of God. Let the word judge the person. The Lord rebuke thee. Yes. That's a matter of fact. Amen. All right. Let's continue um, looking at the main issue. So like I said, that's just a side um, distraction. Let's get back into the main thing. And what is the main thing we are looking at? That it says, no, we're talking about the science of faith, your own assessment. The one that I want to bring up from here is that he said from verse three, uh, chapter three, in verse um, 16, he said, then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another. That's what I want to bring out. Those who fear the Lord spoke to one another. There's something that Paul said at the time. He was quoting from Psalms, actually. He said, I believe in having the same spirit of faith as him that said, we believe, therefore we have spoken. He said, therefore, he said, in the same manner, I believe, therefore I do what? I speak. And that's what I want us to look at today. The issue of those who fear God and the kind of things they say to one another. And that's a major manifestation of faith. Yes, faith declares. Faith speaks. Anytime we are praying like this, it's faith we are operating. But the side of it I want to look at, I want all of us to look at, are the things that we say in our quiet moments. And the things, the things that we say with our bosom friends, things that we discuss amongst ourselves. Now, that's where your real faith is. That's where your real faith is. Now, let me just take it from this particular angle. Sometimes you hear people say, you know, like, you know, um, again, I'm not indicting anybody, just that we all know what's going on in the country and all of that. Um, recently, one of our top police officers was indicted for, not in Nigeria, abroad, for supporting cybercrime, you know, fraud, and money laundering. And this is somebody who fights um, crime aggressively in Nigeria. In fact, when the, the toughest kidnappers and bandits is the kind of person they will send after them. And he's proven to be very effective in his job. 
Then the allegations, okay? Please, the allegations, all right? But I just want to explain something. Is that is aiding somebody who is defrauding other people. Now the question is that why will you catch a kidnapper locally? But then somebody else who's stealing abroad, you support. Will a local kidnapper have paid you and you'll have agreed to do these things? You know what I think? The answer is no. I think the answer is no. You know, say, why would you do the other one? And I read it in the BBC article. The BBC writer said that for a lot of people, now please follow, that's the reason why I'm telling this story, follow this very closely. For a lot of people, they see those things as a form of, um, what's that word? For slavery and colonialism. Eh? Uh, yeah, we have a word for it. It's payback, but there's a particular word. Is it reparations? Yes, reparations, yes. That they see it as reparations. And I've heard people say it many times, hey, there's nothing wrong with what those boys are doing. I remember somebody I was speaking with, when we were in a group, we were talking somewhere, went for a particular conference. And those are the early days of, um, now kidnapping was not in Nigeria like that. The only people that got kidnapped then in Nigeria were white people, oil company workers, generally oil workers, that's foreigners. And somebody said, hmm, I don't see anything wrong with what those boys are doing. What's he trying to say? They're only trying to collect money back that has been stolen from us. I've heard it many times. Christians will tell me that what we call 419, you know, advanced fee fraud. Most of, of course, people will go abroad. There's one particular famous one in Enugu that stole how many hundreds of millions of dollars from a Brazilian bank? You know, remember how many hundreds of millions? Like 300 million dollars or so. Yes, they stole from a Brazilian bank. And people will say that, no, there's nothing wrong with it. They see it as, like we say, reparations. That they wanted to steal from us. We have smarted them. Now, let me say this to you. Stealing is stealing. Recently, I heard a pastor said that steal from government and give to the poor. That he said it is, um, he said be a Robin Hood. He said, I'm the one that said it. Please, brethren, listen, hear the word of God. Stealing is stealing. And the curse of the Lord is in the house of the thief. Let me say it to you again. If you are a thief, you are inviting God's curse to abide upon your household. Stealing is stealing. You cannot justify stealing because the person stole before. I hope you are getting my point. Now, why I'm bringing up this issue is because we easily get, you know, we get, um, shall I use the word? These are devices of the devil, all right, against us. These are devices of the enemy. It will trick us into thinking that we are being righteous or being godly or no, that's the, the word I'm looking for is being good. But there's a difference between being good and being righteous. This, being good in this context is that you are doing it for the good of people. I've heard a preacher say once that they say we're always looking for money. And it's not the work of God we want to do with the money. So it doesn't matter to you that you are using the wrong method to propagate the truth. How do you use lies to propagate truth? Don't you understand that everything you do in life has a spirit? After all, when, the, when that young girl was following Paul about, she didn't say anything that was not right. Yet, why did Paul cast the demon out of her? All she said that these are servants of God who are telling us the way of life. Why did Paul take time out to cast the demon out of her? Because the letter profits nothing. It's the spirit that matters. The girl was uttering correct words. But the spirit was very wrong. Basically, nobody will get saved as long as she shouted. She was hardening the hearts of people. What am I going to say? You cannot use lies to propagate the truth. 
If you say it's the gospel you want to preach, let that gospel produce the money. I hope I get my point. If it really has life, why do you want to lie? Turn yourself, you know, to somebody that people look at as dishonest. And then you come to church and say, they say we, do, we like money too much. Is it, the gospel? It's not, is it not the gospel we are preaching with the money? I mean, I, I heard somebody say it. I was not in that church looking at the person. I can say, man, I just understood what Paul said. said their glory is their shame. That is, they are bragging on things they should be ashamed of. That's one thing Satan does. He will tell somebody that what you are doing is good, but the method is bad. But Jesus made something clear to us. David said it in Psalm 118. And the Lord Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 7. He said, whatever you want to do, enter by what? The narrow gate. David said, use what? The gates of righteousness. So how you do something is as important, if not more important, than the thing you're actually doing. Some young men came to me once. They said they wanted to plan a, they were planning a program. They wanted me to be a guest. This was the University of Nigeria, Enugu campus here. Well, I, most of the invitations I get from there, nine out of, no. Maybe 19 out of 20. Oh, no, it should be all of them. I've, I've, I've not gone to that campus to preach in a very long time. I mean, so 99. something percent of invitations from there, I, I declined for certain reasons. But that one, I explained that I won't be able to come. So they said that, the young man now explained something to me, that um, they wanted me to preach on relationships. <laughs> As I look and say, then I've not even written the book. Should I say yes? So that I'm not a relationship preacher. And the young man tried to explain that he they know that relationships attract your people to come and then they will not preach the gospel to them. <laughs> I said, bros, that is what they call human wisdom. I told him it's human wisdom. So that day I spoke to the young men. I said, listen, if you want to use the power of God, use the power of God. That what you are using is human wisdom. Is human, you want to use human wisdom to gather. Now, listen, I'm not saying they are evil. We did things like that those days when we were in university too. You trick people with food to come and hear the, the gospel. This man shouted yes, sir, because he cooked rice so that people would come to church. <laughs> you know what I found out? It's not necessary. I can't imagine Jesus organizing his seminar on relationships because he wants to come and hear the word. If he organizes a seminar on relationships, he wants to teach on relationships. I better get my point. If he organizes a seminar on relationships, that is what he wants to teach on. He's not trying to trick you to come. John deliberately didn't want anybody to come. When you came, John laughed at you. Why? The answer is simple. Paul said, we did not come in the excellency of man's wisdom. We came with what? A demonstration of the spirit and of power. That spirit can gather people. There is nothing wrong with just saying that, hey, I want to show you the power of God. I want to give you the word of life. People will still gather. I hope you are getting the point I'm going to make here. Our method is as important as the thing that we claim we want to do. What I'm going to say is back to where we began from. So you can't say that because I have a good motive, I use an impure method. It doesn't work. Because my motive is good does not justify my methods if they are impure. Now let's get back to where we began from. So people will say, you know, so why, they say, why did the, the policeman, why would he do this? Now we're not saying he did, we're just saying the story around the whole thing. Why would he do that? So that BBC writer says something I knew from time. That the, the, the narrative locally is that, you see, if you try to steal from your neighbor locally, he will catch you. If you kidnap somebody locally to hold for ransom, he will catch you. If you're an armed robber, he will go after you and he will make you stop. If you even defraud a bank locally, he will hold you if he can. 
But once the money is coming from abroad, he just reasons to himself. I hope you're getting my point. And that thing is inside the heart. Now, the BBC reporter wrote that, and I've heard it before. I know it to be, because I've heard Christians sit down and explain that there's nothing wrong with what these boys are doing. And what are the people he's calling these boys? People who they defraud online. My name is Prince Hazim Kazan. I've just inherited $5 million, and it's locked, it's locked in the Swiss bank. Can you pretend to be my dead father to bring the money? You know, the, don't they get those mails? And I hear Christians say that there's nothing wrong with what they are doing. That they are only defrauding those who want to steal from Nigeria. Actually, those early days, those very early days, most of the stories they told had to do with getting something out of this country. They said that um, they are big politician. They have this fifty million dollars. The government wants to clamp down on it. Can you help them move it out? And then when, when the dealer is now said, the guy said, "Ah, sorry, we're supposed to transfer the money today, but the guy in charge said unless we give him fifty thousand dollars, he won't let the money go." And you promise the man is getting that twenty percent of the money is helping you with, and that's ten million dollars. And fifty thousand dollars. How did they say it? Little to lose, much to gain. So the general trend is that they want to steal our money. Let's collect their own. You forget one part of it. He didn't start it. You did. You offered him the op- op- opportunity to steal your money. Now, where I'm going, however, all right, is this. Christians fell for those things. And I want to explain to you that those are the places where God wants to check whether you really believe in stealing or you don't. I, I hope you're getting my point. It's easy for all of us to gather and say that um, we are praying against those who are stealing from the government. But God says, stealing from the government is not my issue. It's do you believe in stealing at all? I don't know whether you're getting my point. That listen, you cannot pray against stealing from the government if you believe in any form of stealing at all. And those are the areas where our faiths are tested. Those little conversations. They tell you, ah, there's one young girl. She got pregnant and she's in secondary school. What should she do? I say, hey, does anybody know? I won't say anything, but if the pregnancy disappears, God will not be angry. He understands the age. Now, listen, I'm not discussing the issue of termination of pregnancy now or not, but you have just classified yourself on Obama's side. I hope, I hope you're getting my point. That, listen, when God wants to test, that is when he tests. It is not when we are in church and we are discussing, let us pray. He said, those who fear the Lord did what? They spoke to one another. And the Lord heard. And the Lord heard. That is the one we are talking about. Those little conversations you have. Now, let me just add this one to it. Sometimes even with yourself. Some time ago, I talked about that. That our conversations is actually a form of prayer. In fact, I call it a new form of prayer. We think that God hears us only when we join hands and say, let us pray. He said, if two of you shall do what? Agree. Now, agreement is not when you are taught. God can see the heart. He knows those who are in agreement and those who are not in agreement. And how do you know little conversation? Take our country like this. Like I said, I know how serious my job is. If you have a job similar to mine, please get up and start doing it. What do I mean? To educate the people of God. To teach them the righteousness of God is important. You see where I'm going? Again, before I get into what I want to say, let me remind us again. There are 200 million Nigerians there about, right? God does not care about the opinion of everybody. Think about it, he's God. He's as wise as you are, right? Wise, right? Okay, good. So you, with your limited wisdom, 
Do you think it is possible to get 300 million people to agree to a good thing? So God, if you know that, he double knows it. He knows it much more than you do. There's a principle he uses. It's called the principle of the elect or the principle of remnants. That is, of that 200 million people, God has counted the people that matter to me, they are not more than... Let me put it this way, please. Don't get me wrong. The people who I listen to, of the 200 million, they are probably not more than half a million. And of that half a million, I don't even need all half a million to be in total agreement. Maybe all I need of the half a million is maybe 100,000. So of 200 million people, is looking out for 100,000 people. They are called two things, elect and what? Remnants. Now, the main problem, now this is why I say I take my work seriously. I have found out that in our country of today, if God needs 100,000 people, <laughs> you go work out Sodom like 10 times. You know how he went around Sodom looking for how many? 10. What am I going to say? God may look around our country and he doesn't have enough people. It doesn't mean he has given up. He says, Banky, are you broadcasting? I say, yes, sir. He said, how many times a week? I say, maybe I say once. He said, no, Banky. Increase it to twice. Are you broadcasting? I say, yes, sir. How many of you? I said, two of us. He said, no, no, no. I want to raise 10 more people who will do that. I hope you're getting my point. So he goes around person to person, say, you, what are you doing? I said, you should be teaching. Are you teaching? Not yet. Okay, start a YouTube channel. Start teaching. They start raising people. Why? He hasn't given up. But what he wants to do, he cannot do until he has raised those people. That's why I say I take my work personally very seriously. I can't jeopardize because I know, now this will sound like I'm feeling too big with myself, alright, but it's the truth. I believe that the integrity of this nation, the integrity of the work of God for which purpose he created this nation is at stake if we don't do what we are supposed to do. And I don't believe, I don't have that mindset anymore that uh, if you don't do, somebody else will do it. I have realized it is possible nobody else will do it. That's what they have realized. I know it's possible nobody else will do it. Now, please follow what I'm going to explain. Now, why did I get into that? Sometimes you talk to believers. When you hear their opinion on what's going on in the country, just know that no hope. That is, if we were to look at Christians, you know, the way they talk, say, no, no, God can't do anything. Why? Like the Bible said, they are filled with, you know, they, 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 are, they are soothsayers like the Philistines. And that's a terrible thing when Christians start talking like Philistines. I hope you are getting my point. You come to church, Yes, we can talk nicely to each other concerning what God is doing. And we are not, but then we will not sit down and we start talking amongst, you know, small groups. You see people that hold, now please let me say this again, and I'm not joking about it, I mean it very well. If you hold IPOB opinion as a Christian, you are a non-believer. Yes, the other brothers in Kotonu, what is his name? Sunday. If you are a disciple, you are a non-believer. Now listen to me. I know what I'm telling you. I'm not missing words about it. Because none of these men speak for Christ. In fact, Nam the Canons denies Christ. He says he's a Jew. I don't care how right what he's saying is politically. If you are following him as a Christian, your prayers don't count anymore. Take that to the bank like they say. I'm not here to be nice to anybody. You are looking at me. You look like you haven't heard that kind of thing before. Look at his serious face. You shall see here more things. <laughs> that is the way I preach my preaching. The Lord is good. <laughs> Listen, we said something the other time. Let me explain to people. 
If you read from the book of um, Psalms, Psalm 2, he said to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a prophetic psalm, you know, the Messianic psalm. He said, ask of me, I'll do what? And I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And Jesus came and taught us something. He said, if two of you shall agree concerning anything. Now, you must get the point. People sometimes want to agree with a stranger. You cannot agree with me on the matters of your household. Because I have no stake inside. I can pray for you as a brother. But the principle of agreement does not work. But if you're in a household, for example, now, my wife and I can agree on something. It matters. I mean, it works because... Are you getting my point? It works. My children and me or their mother can agree on something. It's the same household. Two of you in a household, it may be a household of 10 people, 20 people. Two of you who are the elect inside there can come to an agreement. And just by the way, you know I keep on dropping the law by the ways. You don't need a pastor. Hey, I pray you get the point. You don't need a pastor. If you want to pray for your child, you and your wife are the most potent prayers. If the two of you will agree, and you can come to true unity, Jesus said, whatever it is that you're asking for will be granted to you. I hope you're getting my point. It's a principle. Now, we explained, that was about two Tuesdays ago, that we are the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. We are the body. When I say we are the body of Christ, it literally means that from the neck down to the feet is us. And the head is Jesus. Without us, Jesus is a bodiless head. No insult meant. All respect intact. I hope you're getting my point. Jesus would be a bodiless head. Without him, we're a headless body. We're even worse. <laughs> we're worse off. That's why without him, we can do what? Nothing. This, he didn't say this, but I think I can say it for him. Without us, he can do little. Without him, we can do what? Nothing. Let me not repeat what I said before so that. But what I want to bring out is that there must be what? Agreement. For everything, let's say national issue. Before you pray about a national issue, go and find out what Jesus is asking the Father concerning it. You hear this in the scriptures. If it's not clear, you pray until it becomes clear. I hope you're getting my point. There are so many scriptures that will help you understand the mind of Christ about an issue. Please. Sometimes I try to drag away from it, but I don't think the Lord wants me to, so let me stay on it. It is not a bad thing. Let's take Nigeria as an example again. Please, if you're not a Nigerian and you're listening to us, this principle applies in your home also. applies in your country. But because we are Nigerians, this is where God has kept at least me as a person and most people that, almost everybody that's with me here, all right? We are Nigerians, so it tends to be our issue, but we're just using it to explain um, a particular spiritual principle relevant to our situation and, of course, relevant to other people's situation also, okay? So this is Nigeria as an example. Things are going on here and there. Um, there's a general um, spiritual divide. Now when I say spiritual, and I don't mean God, I mean in the spirits of people. Divide between north and south. I hope I get my point. Yes, and it has to do with all the banditry. Headsmen issue is actually the main issue. So it has pushed everybody to an extent which is let everybody go his own way. Now, most people say don't even know the meaning of that. Where everybody go his own way means that we're going to have 200 countries out of this one. No, you know, no, you know when an Igbo man says it, he has a lot. It can be actually, um, what's the name of this our guy? Professor Jerry Ghana. He said it. He said when Nigeria was being founded, those things were discussed. He said most African countries are small. West African countries. 
Alright? Ghana is not up to, I don't think they're up to 30% of our population. Yeah. They're not up to 30% of our population. Alright? Less than half. So, um, Professor Jerry Ghana explained something. Let me just draw for those who don't know that he said it. He said then it was checked that, like, the Igbos, as an example, are big enough to be a nation. The Yorubas were big enough to be a nation. The British didn't have a problem with cutting down one as one country, this as another country. They don't have a problem. With, they didn't have a problem with that. That the prop then, of course, Northern Nigeria, like the Hausa, you know, Fulani group, could be a country. But the problem they had was the small, small groups. In case you do not know it, some of people do not know. Niger Delta people are not Igbos, and they are not one group. I hope you get the point. Yeah, be it They are not one group of people. Sometimes they. <laughs> See, Shekri man and Rubo man have fought and killed themselves over whether the title is Olu of Wari or Olu of Shekri. Oh, you've not heard that one before? I've heard them argue that the title is not Olu of Wari, it's Olu of Shekri. That Wari does not belong to the Shekri people. And the person telling me this is an Ijo man. Now, please, I'm not supporting any side. I'm just telling you the kind of differences. Yes. Professor Jerry Ghana is not from any of these major ones I've mentioned. He said they are part of these minority tribes. So that it was easier for the British to come, you know, group everybody together so as to give the smaller people weight. I don't know whether you get the point. That, okay, if I cut this people away, no, it's not going to work. If you add them anywhere, there will be a tiny minority amongst the, are you, I hope you're getting my point. And if you know, we are the most racist of races. We are as racist as white people are. I'm never angry with a white man who's racist. You know why? He's a human being. I'm only angry with believers who are racist. If you're, if you're a non-believer and you are racist, you have your father the devil. It's a normal thing. Is that not what Jesus said? <laughs> why do I expect you to behave differently? My problem is when a Christian is racist. And when we are not, we're of the same race, we become tribalist. When we're of the same tribe, we become statist. And when they see from the same state, we become local governmentist. Next, you know, clans, you know, get my point. They will even know first, first brotherhood, who is the first son and second son. It still comes into our divisions. We know that, okay? Anyway, the point I'm making is that, so, he said they found it difficult to cut these things like that. So they grouped everybody so that, all right, we are plenty, we will find a way to go, you know, I'm not adding words to it. We will find a way to get along together. And the small people have a weight which they are drawing from the bigger, the bigger people. Now, why I told the whole story is that many people are saying divide the country have not even asked along which boundaries. Because if you set a commission to work on that, 200 years they have not yet finished. All the members of the commission will die, then they will inaugurate new ones and will still be on it. Because look at this uh, Biafran issue we are talking about. I won't mention any state, but somebody said there's this particular state that we never agree to go. I don't know which state you <laughs> I know the state I'm thinking about, but you may not know it. They said they won't agree. That is what you are talking. When it comes to that, they don't go agree follow. Because they fear, you know the reason. When you finish cutting off and join to our brothers, they will now know how inferior we are to them. That leave us like this. So let all of us be deceiving ourselves that no, we don't go agree. We don't say, it's all right. We, are, we, we like it like that. <laughs> the Lord is good. Honestly, I thank God for the understanding he has given me. When I see mom is fooling themselves, I just shake my head. You think that your solution 
that you have thought of will produce your expectation in life. There are things you start, you don't know where they will end. Many of the things we are discussing is just a door. We don't know what's down the road. Enter it first. Now, what am I going to explain? So we say things, all right? I just gave that example that, you see many Christians will go along that line. They don't even know where things began from. They're just angry about a situation. And they say, this is our solution. They have not bothered to go and ask God, what exactly is your solution? So Jesus is asking the Father for A, B, C. And they are on the earth, agreeing amongst themselves for X, Y, Z. Therefore, the power of God is not released to them. Why? The body is not in what? Agreement. Jesus is saying one thing. His body is saying another thing. So there is no agreement. Therefore, the people of God are weakened on the earth. It will not appear as if the hand of the Father is too short that he cannot save. What we don't realize is that our disagreement with our Lord is a major problem. I hope you are getting my point. Now, what, why I said that is that, so I went around, you no, know, you talk to people. You talk to Christians one-on-one. When you hear their opinions, ha, you just realize that, oh boy, our problems are worse than we thought. What do I mean? Like I said the other day, <laughs> I can't crack this joke here. It will be, I will crack it at the end for a few people. If you want to hear the joke, gather with whoever gathers with me at the end. <laughs> All right? Because sometimes, you know, you claim you are praying for the country, all right? Then somebody now says to you, listen, you can pray all you want to, but I hope you have your plan B ready. Automatically, you have caught those who are praying into two groups. Those without plan B and those without uh, with plan B. Those without plan B have nowhere to go. Their faith and their desperation is really stronger. So praying with those with plan B is weakening their faith. Listen, you can't pray with, for something with somebody who doesn't believe it with you. Two stories I used to illustrate that, which I heard from different ministers. John G. Lake said he went into a hut where Elias Letuaba had gone to pray for a child who fell from the mother's back and broke its neck. And he knew, medically speaking, much he knew, in the rural village where they were, he knew there was no hope. So he went in there, he saw Letuaba pray. He picked up the child, checked, realized how badly injured the child was. So he looked at him to Letuaba's face and said, listen, this child has broken his neck as if like, what are you doing? Pray. And Letuaba didn't have that knowledge of medicine, that understanding. So he looked at him like, what are you doing? Doubting. They looked at each other and they were men of the spirit. They understood. So he left and went to another hut nearby to sleep. He said, staying with this man will be to weaken his faith. Let me leave him alone. So he left that hut and went somewhere else, and he went to sleep. Somewhere during the night, the Mr. brother Elias came, woke him up, said, Brother John, let's go. So John said, okay, how was the child? He said, the child, the child is well. So he dashed back into the hut, picked up the child, and the child was perfectly well. The broken neck had been healed while he was sleeping. He began to cry. And what was his cry? He said, God, please remove unbelief from me. Ah, he saw faith. He said, Jesus, faith to heal a broken neck. He didn't have it. So he took himself away from that place. So that the man with the faith, and that's why Jesus used to do that. The child is not dead. She's only sleeping. <laughs> he started laughing. Pushed everybody out. 
If they were left there, he would not have been able to do anything. He moved everybody out. Remaining only Peter, James, and John, and the parents of the child who their faith was stirred up by desire, by love for their child. That whatever you say, we will do. And that's a lot of faith. If you don't have faith, hang it on the person that has. So whatever you say, we should do it. Not five times. One, two, three. Lord, is that good enough? Five more times, Lord. The Lord can give you a job to be doing busy so that you won't disturb him. You will agree because your child that is dead. So he kept them inside there. So you see, sometimes we have to bear that in mind. Keep away. And let me not get into that now. You have to learn. It's not everybody you open your mouth and tell everything that you want to do with your life or that's going on with you. When you do that, when you plan to handle it by faith. I hope you're getting my point. The second story is the one Ken Hagen told of a pastor who said they, want, they will raise money for the ministers. That's, that's their upkeep at the end of the meeting. Just a, a, a simple offering. Please, our minister has been with us for the last three days. Please, anything you have, give to him. You know that kind of thing. So the man asked him, how much money are you expecting? So he told the man, don't bother yourself. Let's make a long story short. After the man pressed him, he told him, okay, like just as an example. I don't know exactly how much, but it's just okay. I've been expecting $500. I said, the man shouted, yeah. Oh, I said, the guy said, I cry. Oh, no, no. That $500, there's no way I'm going to get $500. There's no way that the highest amount I've ever given anybody is $150. And that was when, uh, uh, uh Pastor Uma Opai came. And when Pastor Yadibo came. This is a, you know, he mentioned to big names that the ones that got five, uh, $150. $500, we have never given anybody. Where will you get it from? The people are broke. Can I get it to the brother? Say, you know, I didn't want to tell you. You're the one that said I should tell. Now that I have told you, please, can I beg you for a favor? Number one, you want to take my offering? Don't tell anybody anything. Just say, it's time to take offering for the minister. Pass the plate as usual. Don't say a word. Say, don't make any pool. In fact, because the man said the other one took me almost an hour to raise that 150. He said, don't do anything at all. In fact, don't even, that's what I'm talking about it. Say, don't even pray about it. Just leave it. I will do the, can I use the expression, the faith in by myself. I will believe myself. Your involvement will be putting break on my faith. She told the man, please don't say anything. Don't, don't tell anybody. I'm sorry I told you. It's because you harassed me into telling you. But the man said, okay. Let's make a long story short. He got his $500. Without putting pressure on anybody. Because he had the need. And he told the Lord about it. And the Lord moved the heart of the people. I hope you're getting my point. Now, I just told those stories to let you know that when you are talking about agreement, agreement is important. Agreement is important. Sometimes, let me talk about agreement some more. Sometimes you negotiate the agreement. Let me give you an example. Husband and wife on an issue is your child. It's difficult to tell somebody, go away. I hope you're getting my point. You can't tell the mother of a child, go and sleep in another hut. You know the mother? Do you know mothers? They will go into that hut, then forget to collect, they will forget something and come back to collect it. Just to check what you are doing with their child. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. So there are things you can't really tell one person, go away. And because the person is actually really involved spiritually, don't even bother to try and separate. Now, the point I'm making is that, so what do you do? Sometimes, you will say, what exactly can you believe? There are times somebody will say, look, there's nothing wrong with this child. 
We're not going to hospital at all. We're not going to see any doctor, nothing. Maybe more that you've just come from faith conference. So your faith is high. Your, the father just came from work. His faith is low. <laughs> you know, work has a way of wearing down your faith. And you have a child that is sick. This is how you handle such. What can you believe? The father will say, you know what? Or one of the parties will say, I believe that this child will be well. We have an agreement on that, right? Write that down. The child will not die. He will live. Fine. Do we stay at home or we go to hospital? The other one will say, I think we should go to hospital. We'll be, I can believe that God will guide the hand of the doctor that he will do the right thing. You with the big faith, just calm down. You can believe God will do it at home, right? Yes. But you cannot, because your faith is so high, you can also believe that he will get well in the hospital, right? So, that one, two of you can agree on that. Take that one, ask God for it. On your own, you cannot be asking God, ask to this thing, no, because the one who we have agreed on, you can top, you can do, ex- both of you can agree that he can do exceedingly, abundantly, far above what you can ask or even think. But that one, you can't be specific this time around. You leave it for the Lord. There's no point creating on, you see, you're trying to believe and the other person is panicking. What is going on? Touch the body. Is he breathing well? Just carry the child. Go to hospital. Then let the doctor be walking. Then two of you continue joining hands. Say, that guy that's walking, he will do the will of God. And God will go above and beyond him and perfect the healing. And everybody will say what? Amen. Amen. Just by the way, somebody taught me a trick. I read in a book long ago. I think it's digest. Say a couple went to the market to go and shop for window blinds. The, the woman saw one and said, oh, this is so lovely. This is so lovely. The husband said, this, the ugliest thing I have seen in my lifetime. And the man said, the woman said, but it's so beautiful. It's Venetian. And the man said, that's why they are called blinds. Venetians are blind. <laughs> so the man said something which I never forgot. He said, you're in a market. There are 200 other curtains you can prize. You are spending all your time arguing on one. I don't know whether I get the point. Just drop it and continue going until you get to a point where both of you can agree it's fine. The woman wants to die for this one. The woman says, if you hang it in my house, I'll have conversion. <laughs> so the, the author said, Madam, just leave it. Good. When the man says, one that, Oh, this is so beautiful. And the woman looks at it twice. Leave it. He said, there are so many other ones. Keep on going until you get to a point where both parties will agree that this one is good. My emphasis for today is what? Agree. Agree. Now, let's get back to where we began from. So, this problem we have had in the body of Christ. When we are talking to one another, we find out that it's in our private moment that people are actually not in agreement with Jesus. And that is where the power of God has not been released. And one of the ways you know you are in, the, in agreement with Jesus is when you are in agreement with one another. What do I mean by that? Jesus is in heaven, right? We are the body on the earth. Now, you know, we're using Nigeria as an example. What the Christian in the north, north wants is different from what the Christian in the south wants. That's a setting, that's proof that we're not going to get anything from God. Because being in that depth of disagreement with each other, we can't download the power of God as a nation. Remember I began by saying, there are 200 million people, God is not listening to 200 million. He's elect amongst them probably half a million. Amongst that, you even have a remnant. Not even everybody. So God's looking out for 100,000 people to agree with him. 
And how do you know their agreement with him? One major way is when they come into agreement with one another. It's called the unity of what? Of faith. Now, how is that achieved? I was talking about the job of people like me. And if you're like me, please do your work. It's through teaching with the word of God. As you're instructing people, they are decoding God's mind in whatever situation that they are, they are in. That is when they come in agreement with Christ. Christ, his petition before the Father is always there. It's for us to come to a point where we are in agreement with what he's asking the Father. The power is released onto the earth. When we talk to one another, I was saying, what I have observed, you talk to somebody, what you say in church and what they say to you personally, my Father in heaven, you realize that we have a long way to go. Their opinion, I, I've talked to pastors who will insist that God did not choose our current head of state. Ask them why. They don't have one scripture to give me. So I want to ask, did God choose good Lord Jonathan? Well, actually the answer will be no also. So basically the one I'm thinking about, he, he, he told me straight that God does not care who is your leader. That you make up your mind by yourselves. That day when I finished speaking with him, I said, sir, I, didn't, I don't know whether I used the word backsliding. But I told him that God sent me here to tell you that you need to repent. I didn't know what we did was laugh. He laughed at everything and then we separated for the evening. But I realized why that day, the Lord moved my wife and I, please go and see this individual. I need you to correct him. And it's usually a problem when you have a pastor talking like because he's a pastor. A pastor is talking like this, what is he feeding his congregation? The other two days I reminded us of something. That the time has come, be careful where you go to. There are people that just remove faith from you on a daily basis. You come to church, you sit down. They just take time out and say, how much faith do you have? Say like level 15. So by the time you are done today, it's going to be level 5. And they work hard at it. They drop your faith from level 15 to level 10. Then you see Kai, the one that's remaining next Sunday, you see bring it back. You know what? You are a gluten for punishment. God will hold you as responsible for the loss of faith in your life as he's holding that individual responsible. In fact, you are going to get the greater amount of you know, punishment. Do you know why? You brought the faith to be reduced. But if you're a pastor, please, can I just drop this again by the side? Be careful, though. God is listening to your messages. I hope you know it's tape recording you. Everything you see on the pulpit, Jesus is recording it. One day is going to sit down with you and say, when did I say this? Give me the scriptures in which I told you this. Okay, it's not scripture, it's revelation. Which night did I wake you up? <laughs> As a pastor, the people are laughing, they are not preachers. <laughs> I hope you are not laughing. I hope you are not laughing. If you are listening to me, I hope you are not laughing. Play back your messages over the last few weeks, the last few months. Preach it in the hearing of Jesus whether I will agree with you. Because as a matter of fact, many people don't realize, he goes to churches. Read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. He came to Abraham. Say, I've heard of all those things that they are doing there. Now let me come and do what? See with my own eyes. Let me see by myself. What does it really like that? He comes to church. He has been hearing in heaven. The angels have been reporting the nonsense you have been preaching. And I hope, Lord, that they are able to report that they have been selling the truth. Yeah, seriously. Because they report both. They are not, they report both. They say, ah, Lord, when Okimote is preaching on Sunday, you should be there. Say, hey, so you get me a radio. The it will come to you go sit inside the car, tune the radio. Say, so everything he said is okay, but that one will be me talking about. 
So maybe that day, <laughs> he'll make somebody like my wife tune in that day. At the end of the day, my wife will say, ha, ah, Pastor Kevin, I enjoyed you on Sunday, but that thing you were saying, where you get that from? Uh, I asked Pastor, he said that that is the one you did because Topoy annoyed you. Say, Pastor Kevin, next time you're going on radio, leave your anger at home. It's not hard as telling you, it's Jesus Christ that just sending somebody that say, I have seen your works, they are all good, but I have one thing against you. When you are preaching, you don't remember to leave your anger in the house. It sounds like we are joking, you know, Jesus actually does this. He literally does this. Sometimes he will play your message and he will listen to it by himself. And say, when did I tell Banky to say this? I know when he's asking questions like that, he doesn't need an answer. He has answered it himself. What is it I never did? And then through one way or the other, he will bring forth the correction and say, don't repeat that again. And I say, sir, I won't. But the, my emphasis is that if you are one that has been reducing people's faith, Jesus is going to sack you very soon. Hear the word of the Lord. This time around, I'm not joking, we're not laughing. He's going to retire you rapidly. He will remove the pulpit from your hand. It's simple. It's not hard. In fact, the prayer you should be praying is that, Lord, if you want to retire me, please be gentle about it. Because sometimes he retires people, their retirement is in prison. Jim Baker will tell you, read his book, I was wrong. Jesus was listening to him for a long time. Then one day Jesus got tired. Said it is enough. He sent him to 36 years imprisonment. About 36 or 35. What's the difference? One year. Then he went to prison and began to repent. And began to change all the things he used to preach. And he apologized to the Lord about them. They're all the people that God used to send him to prison. He began to forgive them one by one. And as he was doing that, the Lord said, very good. He has learned the lesson. You know what God did? He reduced his sentence from 35 to 5 years. It happened just like I'm telling you. How did it happen? His case was transferred to another lawyer, a very good lawyer. And the lawyer looked at it and decided that your first lawyer was bad. That this case didn't have to go this way. So the lawyer looked at everything and caught one word that the judge used during sentence. And then this word shows bias. So he appealed the sentence based on a single phrase that the judge used. And the appeal court agreed with him and they knocked out the sentence. Said he should go for resentencing by another judge. They did not change the conviction. The first judge that sentenced him was called Maximum Bob. Why did they call him Maximum Bob? Because his name was something like Robert something. And he only gave maximum sentences. If they say sentence for this is between 5 and 25 years, you are getting 25. <laughs> so the lawyers used to call him Maximum Bob. So they took the case from Maximum Bob. Because he said something like, oh, you modern day preachers, you make us old time Christians look like we don't know what we are doing. So by introducing you and us, he introduced bias. On that basis, they knocked out the sentence and sent him to another judge who was a minimum guy. <laughs> Where Bob was giving five years, five years, five years. This guy gave him six months, six months, six months. So the sentence went from 35 years to five years. And about four years, he was eligible for parole or something. I don't know. But anyway, five years, he was out. What I want to emphasize, now these are the physical ways by which these things played out. But the real thing that was going on was that God was judging God said, listen, you are not representing me well. I know you are popular with Americans, but this is not what the gospel of Jesus. But pulling him from that pulpit was traumatic. 
Or it was traumatic. It, was tra- it wasn't easy. It was traumatic. He ended in prison. They even sentenced, the, 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 the IRS said he's owing taxes. Even after I came back from jail, he was still paying arrears of taxes. So that's a prayer you need to pray. Say, God, if you want to sack me, please be gentle about it. But why should this sack you at all? Why don't you just repent? I can say this boldly. I believe it's the word of God. If that man had done the things he did in prison, although, okay, let me say before I say the although. What he did in prison, if he had done it outside, five years beforehand, he would never have gone to jail. But he couldn't do it. Because when the movement is too moving, I hope you get my point. Yeah, when things are moving, you can't have time to repent when you're always recording. You can't have time to repent when you're always speaking. You can't have time to repent when millions of dollars are running around your brain every day. Why will you have time to repent? Jesus said the only way this my guy will repent is when I give him a small space that's no more than that's two meters by four meters. Only him stay there. For the first few months, he'll be there 23 hours a day. So he will repent well. And that's why he sent him to prison. But I'm convinced. If the man would have taken time out, I don't want to get into that now. The principle of rest again. If you are taking that time and say, look, all these things, you, say, ah, eh, you know, if you, are, you, if you don't go to work, these things can collapse. There are times you say, let it collapse. So you started a business. The last three years, you can't remember one week you didn't go to work. In three years, let me just, share a child of God. In the fourth year, it shall collapse. With you inside there, it will collapse on your head. You know I don't like to you. <laughs> this is why you are behaving as if, if I'm not there, things will not work. It will come down on your head. While you are there, God will prove to you that your presence cannot sustain it. I know that from scripture. Nebuchadnezzar, God retired him for seven seasons. We have believed for seven years. By the time he came back, Babylon was stronger than when he left. So after that, I went to Nebuchadnezzar, will you go and live for six months? Say, why not? The time I was gone for six, seven years, what happened? Nothing. Let's go. He said, what if it collapses? Collapsing is the will of God sometimes. You don't know that? When Uzzah wouldn't let the ark collapse, God killed him. Because sometimes when you are doing things that are not right, it has to fall down for you to know it's not right. And if it was right in the first place, God who started it will sustain it. There, it's called the principle of Sabbath. There are times you just have to, you just put off your phone. Don't let your staff know where you are. What, what, what will happen if I'm not there? Jesus will go to work for you. It's called he gives to his beloved even while they're absent. <laughs> the Bible says well, even while what? They sleep. That's the principle. All right. So I want you to know that, how did I get there? I was talking about um, Jim Baker, right? I explained that Jim Baker, okay, God retired him. Why? Because what he was portraying concerning Christ was no longer right. And I'm saying to preachers again, please take instruction. Some of the things, you, if you listen to me teach, I tell a lot of stories. I heard this man say this, I heard this man say this. One of the things for me is that why do I have to make the mistake Ken Hagen made that God had to break his hand for him to be in hospital, for him and the Lord to be able to speak. He's given us the instruction. What I say to one, I say to all. What I say to one, I say to all. So he said that if I give you a gift, use it, even though it's not popular. Use it, even though people are not in agreement with you. Use it. Everybody else is doing this. Doesn't matter. You do the one I sent you to do. He told Ken Hagen, if you didn't do like that, you would not have lived beyond the age of 55. Why do I have to break my elbow before I learn that lesson? Sometimes it amazes me that ministers of the gospel have not read a book like God's Generals by Robert Sliadon. A book that was written for us to know why ministers make mistakes so that we don't make the same mistakes. Why won't you read it? 
Please, these days I'm giving a lot of instructions to preachers. Because God is actually coming and he's going to cleanse his house. Many of us are leading the people of God astray every day. Yes, when you're talking to, people to, to, uh, you're talking to people like me, you come in and like, yes, Pastor Bang, that is true, that is true. Then when you go to your pulpit, you talk nonsense. People come, they hear you. When they leave, their faith is lower than before. You undermine their prayers. There are preachers that when you finish listening to them, your prayer for the nation is undermined. You don't even believe in your prayers anymore. They tell you how doomed and how, how useless the country is. How nothing good will come out of it because of the current structure. For goodness sake. People finish listening to you. They can't sleep well again. They start feeling sorry for their children. And they just finish listening to you. You're not a minister of the gospel. The only thing that should make people afraid when they hear you is their sin. I hope you're getting my point. That should provoke them to repentance. You can't finish preaching to Christians and they will be afraid. If there was cause to fear before, even death, they should look death in the face and no longer be afraid of it. The only thing that should shake them is simple. Oh boy, this is not the will of God. You have been walking in iniquity. Then they change. You say, oh girl, this is not what God said you should do as a believer in Christ Jesus. This is what they call a sin. And then that provokes the fear of God. The only fear you are allowed to provoke in the hearts of people is the fear of God. I still remember very well, May 1997, 18th was a Sunday, and that day I got there to church. When I was coming to church, yes, I was dressed something like this. My cloth is white, you know? Yeah, something like white, like this. That's what I wore. But that one was linen and it was touched. Yeah, I remember. And when I was going to church, I was, it rained. So I was stepping gently because I didn't want my white cloth to be stained with Lagos. You know, Lagos. Potopoto. I don't want to call it mud. Because when you say mud now, they think it is mud. Lagos one is not mud. It's potopoto. For people who are not from Nigeria, please Google up the meaning of potopoto. <laughs> okay, just imagine that one black gutter spilled on the road. That's what I'm talking about. So I didn't want that kind of thing. So I was stepping gently when I was going to church. Then I listened to my pastor preach that day. He spoke for two and a half hours. If you think I preach long messages, you never hear anything. Look, any one of you that I think Pastor Bang is talks for too long, don't go and listen to Bilia Konil. Bilia Konil can preach for five hours. And he has done seven hours before. And I pray for the day God give me that grace. Don't worry, I have the grace already. It's the people I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord is good. So that day, two and a half hours later, after hearing the word of God firing like a, like a machine gun that has no control, what am I telling this to you? When I was leaving church, this is how I was walking. <laughs> I was just walking recklessly. I didn't care anymore. All of a sudden, I did not care. I didn't care. What I heard was the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. That thing stuck in my head. It stuck in my head. I realized that the mud of today, the potopoto of today, cannot touch the inheritance that is kept in heaven for me. When I was leaving church... Oh, my father in heaven. I was bold. In, I was just, that is. I remember one day I saw one of our sisters who went for local convention. So I told her, look, I'm going to send you this message, this tape, this tape. I said to her, I said, when you finish listening to them, I said, the call, and because that also happened to me, I finished listening to some messages those days by Bishop Oedipo and some ministers. Um, uh, Miles Morrow, yes. Miles Morrow and Bishop Oedipo. 
they preach some messages. By the time I finish listening, and what I want to say is not a joke. Okay, now let me tell you how it is. You know the way it is during dry season. Everywhere is you know dusty and all of that. You know when it rains, it's when it rains have have started, and the rains have washed away all the dust in the air. No, there are days like that that the sun comes up. You look as if you can see from here to London. What's the color of the sky at such times? Do you remember? Yeah, yes, you got it right. He has this bluish tint. Oh, is that what they call Hazel? Yes. He has this kind, you know that kind of thing? Yes. Now, this was what happened to me. Spiritually, now, I was looking at life normally. I'm in Lagos, all the mold smoke and everything. Life was going on. Then I finally listened to those messages. And I came out, and the sky was looking like that. Now, the sky did not change. I forget my point. The sky itself did not change. But the way my eyes saw it changed. My, what I was seeing was different. I suddenly was seeing hope. I was seeing a bright future. I was seeing literally the goodness of God. I couldn't be, I couldn't be discouraged. It was not, till today. I've not recovered from it. I couldn't be discouraged. Let me tell you something about Nigeria. eh? I've made up my mind about this country. If you want to spoil, you will wait for about 200 years. You say, why? Because in my lifetime, you can't spoil. And the lifetime of my children, you can't. Let me leave the lesson, but the sky, the faith beyond that level. Seriously. There are prayers I prayed to God then. I said, Lord, one thing nobody will ever have the mouth to say is we told him. So it's not, unless it's not you, I'm obeying. Unless it's not you, I'm following. That my, me and my children will run at midday or at midnight and pack our bags in a hurry because somebody's attacking where we are staying. No, all attackers, you will die. Don't care. I will let 100,000 of you die and go to hell than for me to lose one night's sleep. Because you don't understand, it's not about your life. There are things we believed God for 20 years ago. You were not mad that time. Your madness came recently. I hope you're getting my point. The faith that came before your madness cannot be nullified because of your stupidity today. Seriously. No, really. Now, why am I saying this? This is what the world is supposed to do. Build faith in people. Those men preached those days, I believed. I walked with confidence. My mother can testify. She will ask me simple things like that um, everybody was going abroad that time. Going abroad is not today. I hope you get my point. Uh, you know, she brought the subject near me. Before she was done with saying it, so the Archbishop Benzi Daosa will say, a lizard in Nigeria will not become an alligator in America. Say, <laughs> you have come again. I say, I'm happy you know I have come. Leave me. That, that's it. That's it. No, that was, that, nobody could. Listen, I made it clear. You see, people are going to, when they go they are abroad, they build house. I, I tell my mother, those in Nigeria, they're not building. So ah, this person went abroad, built a house for us. I said, hey, hey, this guy here too, did he not do the same thing? From Lagos. No, Lagos the guy there. He didn't go abroad. But everything you dropped, I had, serious, they had people questioning me about things. Everything they said, I had the scripture to give back to them. Years later, one of my colleagues testified. He said, he said it looked like they just minted you fresh from a, from a Bible school. That is, the people I listened to filled my head. My faith was boosted. You couldn't catch me one day depressed. For what now? With our slide, I... <laughs> That couldn't buy, keep your salary together. Don't spend a dime from it. If you wanted to buy a car, that was three years of keeping it together. Oh, no, it was so bad. It was like, you, look, this is a Bible. I said, no. 
This one I have, it can't reach that one. I will leave that one for God. Was I discouraged? No. I, be- I had all kinds of explanations for what was going on. If your car breaks down in the traffic, you stay there. Me, I jump down, take the next car. You know that my next car now. The downfall now, the downfall drivers, they are all my drivers. I had all Lagos downfall drivers to so take me from one point to another. I couldn't be discouraged. I saw, do you know the truth? Even that time in Lagos, I didn't, when we were rushing for bus, I didn't use to rush you. Rush for bus, why? I didn't used to do that. I stayed in one spot. I told the Lord, my boss will come and meet me here. And I had a little rule. If I have to take more than two steps this way, or three, two steps the other way, to enter a bus, it's not mine. So I literally, I'm looking for a bus. Everybody's rushing for it. I just stay on one spot. Say, my own is coming here. Guess what used to happen? I never slept at the bus stop. I always got home. <laughs> it's not like a joke, but you know, God used to honor that faith. He used to honor that faith. There are times everybody has gone this way. As I'm, I'm stubbornly and rigidly staying on one spot, one guy will just come, stop there, and I'll be the only person that will enter first. They will not shout, then the rest will not rush back. And I say, wait, this boss came to pick me. The point I'm making is that that was what preaching the word did to me. But these days you see pastors. People finish listening to them, they are afraid of Islamists. I hope you're getting my point. People, people finish listening to them. They are afraid of the future concerning their country, their children in the country. People finish listening to them. They are afraid that Boko Haram will run them over. Listen, if you are like that, you are not ministering for God. Back to the point I was trying to make. I was talking about when my mother and I would speak. That was when what I really believed would show up. You want to know what you really believe? The time your father sat you down and spoke, what did you say to him? I hope you are getting my point. The day your friends, you know, called you and said, what's going on with your life? What did you say to them? When you and your wife will sit down in the house and discuss issues about the children, about the future, what do you say amongst yourselves? That is the real faith. Like I said at the beginning, I'm not here to tell you, no, so that you can judge somebody else's faith. It's your own faith you are assessing. Yes, as I was coming up, something was in my mind, and I believe the Holy Spirit said I should let people know that. There is nothing wrong with discovering that your faith is weak. Did you hear what I said? In fact, that is the good side of it. That is what the assessment is about. There is, in fact, I believe that, because when I was coming, that thing just stayed on my mind. I don't even know why I didn't get to it until this particular point in time. There is nothing wrong with discovering that actually your faith is weak. Which is what God wants you to discover. Find out, is my faith, has it been reduced? Because when you discover it is weak, then there's remedy. Oh, there's effective remedy. There is effective remedy when you have, when you find out that that faith is really weak. The time you spoke with your friend and you really poured out your heart to him, poured out your heart to her. Look at the things you said. Were they issues of faith? Now listen to me. It's good you have somebody to utter your own belief to. Now please, get my point. It's good. What is bad is when you don't accept that it is unbelief. What is evil is when you now start arguing that you are being reasonable. I hope you are getting my point. What is wrong is when you finish uttering your own belief. You spoke for 30 minutes, then you go back and say, no, God should understand. He doesn't understand in that way. What he understands is that now you have poured out your own belief. He said, Lord, really, let's be honest. This is not the level I should be in as a believer. But truly, this is how I feel. The next prayer, which is what I want to end today with, 
It's a very, very, very serious prayer. There is nothing wrong with praying it. You know, those who are learning the word of faith, they say it's not a true prayer. But I believe it's a valid prayer. Before I give it to you, let's read it from Scripture. There are two of them in this Bible. The just one I want to pick out. Which Was it Peter that said it? Luke chapter 17. It wasn't Peter, it's all the apostles. Let me read from verse 1. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than that he will cause one of these little ones to stumble. He now said in verse 3, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, what do you do? Forgive him. You know that is not easy. It's easy. There's nothing wrong with saying, oh boy, Lord, I can't do that. Nothing wrong with saying it. Lord, that is a hard thing you have asked me to do. What is the response? Verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, what? Read it out loud again. Personalize it. Increase my faith. Let me just stop here because if I read further, we'll have to start doing some explanation. I wanted those words. There is nothing wrong with saying that. There is nothing wrong with saying that. You know what happened here? Jesus showed them something they were supposed to do. Eh? You will offend me seven times. You come the first time, you say, I'm sorry, sir. I said, no problem. Let's forget it. You come a second time, I said, I'm sorry, sir. You say, I'm sorry, sir. I said, no problem, let's forget it. You come the third time, I will tell you, once is happenstance, twice is coincidence. The third time is enemy action. <laughs> I'm not going to agree. I mean, think about it. That was the attitude. And then somebody now came and said, I should forgive you when you come seven times. In fact, other scriptures say 70 times seven. I like the way those people used to respond. You know, and of course, they are not really like us. They don't much... They realize that you don't argue with Jesus too much. These days we are too bold. We argue with him a lot. People will sit down, you, you give them scripture. They will be, bros, this scripture is clear now. They will go around like this, go around. Like we we're saying yesterday during the Bible study here. Use your arguments to find how you will obey, not how you will disobey. Argue with yourself so that you come to the point of obedience. Those men were not very good at arguing with the Lord. Now I don't blame them really. <laughs> Hey, 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 if somebody you are following by the road looked at a tree, he said, this tree, nobody will eat from you again. And he says this casually. And you come next day, the tree don't die. You are thinking, when did they ever tell me, you know, go better for you? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what they are thinking because a man looked at a tree casually, just said, ah, Andrew, I think I'm hungry. Ah, that tree, you should have something that you got there. Didn't see anything. I said, nonsense tree. Nobody will eat food from you again. And he went away. He didn't, it wasn't like he said, this tree, you are trying me. <laughs> and I hugged the tree. <clears throat> <clears throat> Receive the fullness of my anointing. Nothing like that. No, if he did that, you would understand. He didn't do that. He just looked at the tree and said, nobody will eat from you again. And he went away. The next morning you are coming back. And that tree, you get know, he had dried from the bottom. What you are thinking of is that? Did you ever tell me I'm a fool? <laughs> did you ever tell me waka? You know, because you know that if he did, you are drying from the roots. 
It's one reason why those guys realize that you don't argue with him too much. Oh. So when he says something, they quickly say, well, they turn to it themselves and start quarreling. Like there was a time he said that um, you can't divorce your wife. They turn and say, guys, it's better not to marry. He said, Philip, where is that wedding date? He said, I've canceled it. I've canceled it. There's no need. He said, how? How will she feel? How will she feel? Does it matter? You hear what the Lord say? Look, don't worry. I'll buy a cow sent to the family that um, we are following the Lord. We don't have time for manual, uh, cannot things anymore. That, that was how they handled it. Because what they said is, it's better not to marry. Now, what am I going to say here? What Jesus used to do for them is to show them what's inside their hearts. The people that had a problem were those who did not accept it. I hope you're getting my point. Remember Peter? Peter was arguing. Everybody ran away with Peter and said, Sir, I never trusted John. All oh, this one is hanging around you. He's a very, very fear. Whoa, this guy can fear. They will run. John will go, I know. Hmm. I saw Judas. Before they start coming, he will have gone. Because he will tell you that he has to go and inspect the house they are building in the village. Peter explained everything and said, But me! Lie, lie. I'm not going anywhere. And Jesus, look at these are the people I can't use. They are too bold in themselves. He said, before the cock crows twice, you will have denied me three times. Rapid results denier. Now, where am I going? By the time Peter started denying Jesus, he was not, he was not conscious of it. It was when the cock crowed a second time. In the movies we have watched, Jesus would iron like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know they call toying? Just all taking bloody hand with the guy. Toying, she I told you. But in real life, it didn't happen like that. But of course, he came to himself and realized that what Jesus said to him had happened to him. Now, let me say something to you. That was what Jesus wanted him to realize. That you can deny me. Listen, let me say something. That you can deny him is not good, but it's not a problem he has. It's for you not to accept that you can. That's where the problem Because when you accept that you can, he will send in the strength for you not to deny him. I hope you're getting my point. Listen, God does not condemn people for making a mistake. For doing what is wrong, there's no condemnation for Christians. The problem is when they have done what is wrong. Because that one brings them to the point in which they will say, Lord, help me. It's called the throne of grace. To find grace to help. In the time of need. But they don't come, they say, I'm strong. That is when they fail. What am I saying? We're talking about faith. You discover your faith is weak, so what? Your faith should be weak at a particular point in your life. That's what I'm trying to say. There's no point trying to pretend. You know, I've seen people, Christians, God will have to have mercy on all of us. No, God, we need extra dose of mercy. You see people, go, one pastor in Lagos those days, he, he's owing his landlord, though. he's owing everybody. But he said his car must be shining, because that is the prosperity people we see in church. He said the engine of his car will be bad, but it must be shining. Why? The church is preaching prosperity. So they have to show off prosperity. He said he will be wearing a bada. He can't pay the tailor. He said, literally, his landlord will be looking at him like this, like, but this boy has money. Why is he not giving me money? Why he did not know is that the guy did not have. But because the church preached prosperity, he had to look. Emphasis on what? 
look. You have to look prosperous. Just by the way, if you are like that, God will never give you money. You are too vain. So that's what he does. This guy, I, <laughs> oh, you know, if I be telling you, you'll be like, they form these things. A deacon had an accident breaking leg. Because in their church, they know they're sick. This guy didn't go to church until the leg healed. I don't know where I get my point. In the church, they preach divine healing. And some bishop will say, I can never be sick. So people took it as a sign of unbelief for you to have an accident and you break your leg. So a deacon broke a leg. And for three months it took for them to remove the cast. He did not go to church. You know the kind of person where I be? If for any reason I'm in and I come to... Now from this pulpit, pastor will come to you. might know the clothes, sir. So your pastor is not feeling well. <laughs> so he's not coming for Bible study today. Pray for him so he will not die. <laughs> know the truth? I don't mind. She will get well and come back. Eh? That is what... The, he will laugh last. Whatever will happen to me today, what does it matter? I will still have the laugh, the last laugh. You sit and say, hmm, I'll bring your pastor down on the bed for three weeks. You know that, was it in, um, what, what was that time that I was absent for three weeks? Was, are you just January? Anyway, you see, yeah, at least all of you know enough to be arguing over, well, there was no problem. I even told my wife, I said, listen, the only thing about me and you is that don't, I don't want to hear you drag me to hospital. If I must die, I must die in peace here. The day I fell ill, actually, my friend died that day. My friend died on Saturday. I took ill on Sunday. In fact, his, his wife panicked. She was still mourning her husband. She heard that I was down. Hey, God, oh. Started making phone calls, calling everybody. Where is he? How is he? This and that. I just told my wife, said, please, if I'm becoming unconscious, I pointed <laughs> We have one big white towel in the house, very big, it's in the wrap. I say, unwrap it, put it on the bed, let me lie on it. And I pass out, let me pass out there. I either wake up healed or I wake up dead. I mean, do you wake up dead? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I mean, I didn't, it's not, what is hiding in it? You know what Paul said? We don't want you to be ignorant of the afflictions that we went through. He said, affliction so bad that we despaired of life itself. That was poor writing. You know? So who am I to not be hiding to you that I, I, I had affliction? Nonsense. People think it's a sign of faith that no, nothing ever went wrong in my life. Brethren, you are witnesses. Earlier this year, three weeks, I didn't, the first few, two days I came, but I sat in my office. The, th- the next meeting I couldn't climb. There was no point fooling myself. I lost seven kg, in case you're not aware. When I stood on the scale next, I couldn't believe it. 7.5 kg of my weight was gone. I did not eat any solid food for two weeks straight. You know why I can tell you the story? Because I'm well now. <laughs> yes. Paul said, I, we don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we passed through. He said, the affliction was so bad with despair of life itself. That's what Paul said. Though. He said, meanwhile, the God of all comfort com- comforted us in our afflictions. So that with the same comfort with which we're comforted, we'll be able to comfort those who are similarly afflicted. That's good enough. I mean, Dickin broke a leg and didn't go to church until the leg healed. Why? I remember one woman in the hospital, the same church, you know, in Lagos these days, came to our hospital. 
And I was in my office, you know, the consulting room where I used to use. And I was hearing, Tim, 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 Tim. Ah. So I came out, what is going on? I saw a woman hopping like this. I said, man, that was the issue. She would never use a crutch. Why? It's unbelief. But you are jumping on one leg. I couldn't believe it. That in our walls, because I had to use wall. The leg was broken. The bones were healing. Because the bones were not yet healed, the normal thing is that you retain it in the cast, and you use crutches. No, I will not use crutch in Jesus' name. But I'll be hopping like frog in Jesus' name. I mean, how does that make sense? And it's the kind of... God have mercy. God have mercy. You know what James said? Is anyone afflicted? Let him pray. Is anyone, let me give the literal Greek, the way I was taught. Is anyone beyond helping himself? Let him call upon the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. He said, the prayer said in faith, we save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. If you don't tell us, how will we pray for you? If you don't tell, how will we pray? Do you know that it's important to pray for people? You don't know it's important you are prayed for? That people pray for you? When my mother says, I, I pray for you, me, I appreciate it. My mother is praying for me on the phone. She doesn't see it, but my hand is up like this. She's on the phone. I'm praying. And I raise my hand. Amen. 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 And my hand is up. Ah. Why will, well, if it wasn't important, why will Paul say, Paul say pray for us? If Paul needed prayer, bros, I think I need prayer. <laughs> if Paul needed prayer, I think I need prayer. I have not seen the Lord the way he saw the Lord. I have not been caught to the third heavens. I hope you are getting my point. If such a man can need prayer, brethren, I think I need prayer too. So it is not, I'm too, I mean, it's not, a, it's not humility for me to say pray for, pray for me. It's common sense. I hope you are getting my point here. Why did I go into that? I see, I have seen people trying to hide their unbelief. Can I use that expression? Trying to deny that. Okay, that's the word. They want to deny their unbelief. They want to deny. Say, no, nothing is wrong. Nothing is wrong with me. I don't know the word they did. They are pretending. The man's car's engine is rotten, but he will, he will pray. He will pay those um, oven bakers to rebake the car. The AC is not working. It will wind up. <laughs> he wants to show that he's prospering. It's not necessary. No, it's, it's not necessary. Uh, look, God, I give you the glory. I've had that testimony for more than 20, what is 20 years. People say, ah, no. Leave Banky. Banky is very sincere. Because I know they pretend. And I used to make a joke of it those days. A young woman will come and ask you. Say, how come you don't have a car? And in my mind. This is how you like people to deceive you. I'll tell you the truth. You know why I don't have a car? The amount of money they collect to release it, I don't have. She cannot. Your man says you can't prostrate to collect bicycle. <laughs> yeah, it's a Yoruba proverb. That you cannot prostrate to collect bicycle. 
You won't go to the market and say, oh, God, I don't have, I don't get money, but please, I beg. <laughs> say, wait. <laughs> I tell people straight, I don't have, I don't have. Why are you not living in this kind of house? The money when they call is bigger, it's just too much. David said, my eye is not proud. As if my heart is not proud, my eye is not haughty. I don't involve myself in matters too difficult for me. The rent is too difficult for me. Leave it. So your mates are living in bigger houses. This is me or my mates. The Lord is good. Oh, I went all of this trying to prove a particular point. If God brings you a point where you see that, oh boy, your faith is not how it's supposed to be. It's not a problem. Say, Lord, increase my faith. And you know what? He will. Two things he does. One, he gives you the spirit of faith. That's what is called faith by the spirit. That's number one. But number two, he will give you instructions in righteousness. He will give you knowledge. When he gives you knowledge, I hope you're getting my point, faith is boosted. That's what he does. You know, I heard a man trying to say something once. Trying to prove to somebody that you can't pray for faith. You can't pray for faith. And then he proved that the man's prayer for faith was heard. Do you hear what I said? Sometimes in trying to prove something, people end up proving the opposite. This man came to the preacher for prayer. The man has been sick. He said, we pray that if God wants me to be healed, he will let me know it is his will. And that if God wants me, if it is his will, he will give me the faith to be healed. Two prayer points. Number one, if God wants to heal me, he will let me know it is his will. And number two, if it is his will, he will give me what? The faith to receive the healing. So the preacher said, no! His will, he's expressing his word. You don't pray such prayers. You read the word so that you will know his will. So you open the Bible and read like four scriptures for the man to say God wants you to be healed. Did you notice what happened? The first prayer has been answered. <laughs> he said, come on, he said, he said, no, faith does not come by prayer. Faith comes by hearing. So you know what you're going to do is hear the word. Then he read the scripture and kept on, you know, you need to you be, you keep on coming for the meetings. The man kept coming for the meeting. The man's faith was built up. At the end of the day, he laid a hand on the man and the man got healed. He said, you see, the prayer was not necessary. I laughed. Both prayers were answered. The first one is like, Lord, if it's your will for me to be healed, let me know. The man who said he should not pray that prayer took the scriptures Prove to him. And the man knew. The same man taught the man the word until faith was built in his heart. And the man got healed. I felt like saying, bros, come. You've just proven yourself wrong. But let's not kill ourselves over whether five angels can start on the, the tip of a needle. At the end of the day, when we need them, they will appear and do their work. Whether you pray for faith, you don't pray for faith, just get the faith. But I can assure you, the man was desperate. He said, Lord, I believe. What do you do? Help my unbelief. I don't have time now. I'll have shown to you that Jesus prayed for him. He prayed for Peter. Why? That his faith would not fail. When you discover that your faith is down, you know what you do? You pray. Let's bow our heads. Give the Lord thanks quickly. Just say, Lord, thank you. Say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. My faith is in you. I want you to pray that prayer. Declare to him that my faith, Lord, is in you. Help my unbelief. Lord, I give you my whole heart. Increase my faith. 
Increase my faith. Increase my faith. It's important. Increase my faith. Increase my faith. Say thank you for knowledge. Thank you for understanding. Say Lord I thank you. I give you the praise. Increase my faith. Pray this prayer. Say Lord give me visions of heaven. Give me visions of spiritual things. Open my spiritual eyes. That I may see the realities of life. And Lord help me. To see the areas where I need to make corrections. That prayer is very important. Say, Lord, help me. Let me see the areas where I need to make correction.